I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. As unusual, something different, a little bit different. Will's out in Boston right now. He was at game one. I'm not sure if he was really happy with flying all the way out to Boston <laughs> to see that game. But, you know, he's probably in the air now on his way back to Texas. Greg is at work. So I'm joined by Celtics Blog's Jack Simone. I've known Jack for a long time, does his own podcast as well. He's uh, been crushing it recently. I think you've been on here recently as well. Not too long ago, you joined me on here as well. So what's going on, Jack? Nothing much. Uh, like you said, I can't imagine Will's too happy that he went all the way to Boston for that that mess. But uh, I'm happy to be here because of it. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. I mean, if I flew to Boston and it was a loss, I'd probably... Well, no, if it was a loss, I'd be cool. If it was yeah, that type of game, I'd be a little bit upset, right? I mean, I think the biggest takeaway I had was just... It felt at times like this team came into this game just buying into their own hype. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like an easy win, an easy series against Brooklyn. I would say easy. Like you know, that was a hard fought series in terms of most of the wins were close. It was mostly close games. Mm-hmm. And then you come into this game, you're like, yeah, they got Giannis, but there's no Chris Middleton. We feel like we can get A, B, and C done. We can like you know, you can navigate your way through as much as what you need to. It's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, you realize like. Yo, Brooklyn's rim protection is fantastic. They're really good at bullying their way to the rim. And then they just kick it out to open shooters. They don't really run a lot of actions. Like um, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, are they going to run stuff on the post? Are they going to get Giannis like picking up DHOs on the post? Who's already the head of steam? They don't really do that. They're just like, yo, let's bully, bully drive our way in. Force a collapse. Kick it out. We're going to get guys hitting shots. I mean, Bobby Portis just looks like he's prime Jordan. You know what I mean? Like obviously brutal. not, but it, he played really well. Drew Holiday played well. In fact, everybody played well apart from people on Boston's side, man. What was your take? Because I think that Giannis was like, Giannis played a really good version of Jason Tatum, right? Like, you know, the Celtics yeah. did everything they could to take away his shooting ability, and he just turned into a facilitator, and he hit pass after pass on the money every time. Yeah, it's like... They didn't guard him like exactly the way they guarded KD, but they sent like extra pressure his way. They tried to bully him on the inside. Al Horford played great defense. I mean, Al Horford was probably the only highlight of the Celtics, if I'm being honest. And Giannis just did the one thing I guess KD struggled to do, even though KD had uh, his fair share of assists. He he found the open teammates, and obviously Milwaukee's others or role players or whatever you want to call them are better than Brooklyn's. Brooklyn shot well in the Brooklyn series. Like Bruce Brown was on fire from three. Goran Dragic wouldn't miss. Uh, Patty Mills, etc. But uh the Bucs obviously have a better supporting cast around Giannis, and he utilized it instead of just trying to continuously brute force his way to the basket. I mean, he shot nine for 25 in the Celtics loss. That should tell you right there how how well he passed the ball and how poorly the Celtics executed on offense. But uh yeah, he, he just found his teammates when he needed to, and he made the right plays better than Kevin Durant did. And I think that was the major difference, and it kind of shell-shocked the Celtics that. And like you said, Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis was hitting the shots you want Jalen Brown to hit, and I think that was the painful part of the whole process. It was such a bad performance by Jalen Brown, dude. Like, when one of those two guys, when one of Tatum or Brown have a bad game, the Celtics ceiling dramatically like lowers, right? Like, you can yeah. still win, but it's going to be a really hard-fought game. When both of them are struggling, there is no ceiling. It's a loss. 
And yep. I'm saying this knowing that the Celtics have a good bench unit. They have a good bench rotation. But the downside to stacking up defensive two-way guys, guys that can play a bit on offense, are also very good defensively, but aren't stellar. Like, you know, you, you the only real shooter you've got is Peyton Pritchard, who was struggling. You're not going to put Sam Hauser into this game because he's going to get exploited. Same as Nick Stauskas. So you, you're relying on Derek White and then you're relying on Grant Williams, both of which are viable floor spacers and viable guys yep. to kind of put the rock in their hand. But they're not Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton, where it's like they can give you impact defensively, but their single, like their sole purpose on offense is to just continually hit freeze. That's not who Derek White is. And I think that we felt the, the pain there as well, because especially with like how good a deterrent Milwaukee were in terms of not letting you get to the rim, taking away driving lanes, really beating you up every time you went inside. You you were kind of like, right, then, so you're going to need to beat these guys from the outside. They're daring you to beat them from the outside and nobody's hitting these shots. At which point, who would you, if Peyton Pritchard's not coming off the bench to give you three, three or five three-point shooting, which, you know, he, he struggled, then where does that three-point offense come from when Brown and Tatum are bad? Whereas if you look at Milwaukee, all right, Bobby Portis isn't hitting shots. We'll go to Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen isn't hitting shots. We can hit Pat Connaughton. We can hit Drew Holiday. They've, and then Brooke Lopez can shoot the three. There was just a lot more firepower from them. And I think that was also part of the issue with the way the Celtics kind of, you know, you'd have one possession where they played Giannis straight up. And it was just Al Horford and Giannis with Rob roaming over to provide some last second defense. And then you'd have another possession where there'd be like three guys on Giannis, two guys sinking into the paint. And there's just guys that are going to hit threes left, right, and center everywhere. And uh, I think that, that was the biggest difference was the fact that Milwaukee have multiple dudes that can get hot and shoot the free ball consistently well. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. If Peyton Pritchard's shooting two of eight from three, you don't really have much shooting coming off the bench for the Celtics. It's it's painful, and I think a big part of the Celtics' offense is, like you said, Derek White can shoot. He shot well after a horrendous first quarter. Grant Williams can shoot, but the best shooters on the Celtics are their scorers. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're the ones who you want to hit the threes. And again, like you said, they just didn't bring it. They didn't bring it in the first half. Jason Tatum came around a little bit. Jalen Brown had seven turnovers and never found a shot. So uh, it starts from the top down. And if those guys aren't making shots and Peyton Pritchard's aren't making shots, you get a performance like the one you saw on Sunday. And it's just a complete mess. That, that That's about as bad as I've seen the Celtics play uh, on offense, at least for a long time. The defense was all right. Like, I don't want to completely trash on the defense because they guarded Giannis all right, right? If he's shooting below what 30 percent? i don't know math off the top of my head i just know nine for 25 but that's an okay game and drew holiday even though drew holiday looked amazing but the shooting splits weren't there but he looked like he was killing the celtics in every possession but if you hold those two stars to below whatever shooting and chris middleton's not there that's a game you need to win especially like 101 points not a lot right like for the bucks especially like you need to win those games and the offense just just wasn't there to back it up yeah, I mean, for me, like, one of the biggest things I said coming into this game, I wrote about it, I tweeted about it, I was really big on the idea of don't try and stop Giannis because he's going to find ways to hurt you. If you stop the scoring, he's going to rebound and assist, whatever. Stop everybody else because Giannis will never be able to score enough on his own to beat you. He can he Just let him get his numbers and limit everybody around him. Don't let anybody like Portis, Allen, Connaughton, holiday don't let them guys get going let force them into tough difficult shots and you know no matter what happens Giannis is never going to score enough to win the game on his own and I felt like 
that was probably the best way to come into this game. That's my take. So, of course, I'm going to feel that way. Whether or not I'm correct is obviously a completely different discussion. And obviously, again, I'm always going to be biased because it's my take. But <laughs> I genuinely think that what you saw in this game was everything was geared towards like limiting Giannis and then everybody else beat you. What That is how Milwaukee win games, period. Everybody, everybody game plans for Giannis. Everybody's concerned about stopping the best player. And then the role players are all consistent enough and good enough to, to just decimate you. And I think that when you, if you change that game plan, you just leave Al Horford and Rob Williams to do their thing on Giannis. And then when Horford checks out, just leave Grant Williams to do his thing with Daniel Tice as the rotating guy and just focus on everybody else. You're probably going to be a little bit better off because if Giannis can't kick out to anybody and he's got to go through contact and fight through Horford. Well, we saw he really struggled doing that. He really struggled like fighting through contact and getting those finishes at the rim, especially when Rob would rotate over. There was a few plays where you just kind of saw Giannis like panic, but somebody was wide open somewhere and he just zipped a pass. If, mm -hmm. if he doesn't have that passing option, he has to put it up. What some of the some of them are going to fall. That's just the way. That's the way it is. Not all of them. And then you get the rebound, you run out, and you start to demoralize the rest of the role players. And unfortunately, the Celtics just went with the general consensus of guard the best player as best you can. And as you said, they limited Giannis 9 or 25. Drew Holiday didn't play well, but everybody else stepped up in, in the middle. And that's where the biggest issue was for me because I was like, yo, just let Giannis do his thing. You're not going to stop him. So just leave yeah. him to it. Leave him to it. It's And just deal with everybody else. And, you know, eventually... If you take away all of the passing outlets, all of the floor spaces, if you force everyone else into a bad game, you're going to cut the legs off Giannis eventually because he's going to gas himself out. He can't do it all consistently. So that would be my takeaway, like what I'd like to see changed going into game two. What would you, how would you do things different? Because you wrote a piece on, on, on how to guard Giannis. So what would you do different? I, I did, yeah. I mean, I talked about just the general stuff like, you know, zones, etc. I, I brought up some dumb idea of a box and one where you just stick Marcus on him to pester him all game. Um, but, the, but the main thing I ended on was just don't do anything differently. Like, in my opinion, similar to what you said, the defense the Celtics were playing towards the end of the season. And, and when I say don't do anything differently, I mean to what they were doing in the regular season. Like, you guarded Kevin Durant the way they did because the role players on the Nets just aren't good enough to give him anything to to, to help him out. But like you said with Giannis, everyone else is, is better. So it, it's pretty much exactly what you said. Just do what you were doing in the regular season. Like, historically speaking, the Celtics play the Bucks really well, and that's in large part because uh, of Al Horford. Or even when Al wasn't there, they'd stick – Shemi on him or so some stupid defender just to put on Giannis to body him down low and then the rest of the defense would just take care of its business right like the Celtics defense was great for a reason and especially with teams that are this deep I think you just have to do whatever you can to guard everybody at the same time because like you said even if Giannis averages 50 if the Celtics stop everybody else they'll win the series and it's not an exact comparison but this kind of reminded me of remember the game back at like the beginning of the year it was like Trey Young had like 10 points and he had a terrible game, but he had a million assists. Bogdanovich was shooting lights out. Kevin Herter was shooting lights out. Everybody on the Hawks was killing the Celtics and they lost, even though they stopped Trey Young. That's kind of what it reminded me of. And obviously Giannis is a very different player than Trey Young, but he still killed them with his passing. The Celtics still slowed him down. And 
yeah, I guess I would just lean back on the defensive schemes and the defensive plans that the Celtics had at the end of the regular season instead of just focusing so much on Giannis, just play normal defense. And if Giannis goes for 50 and averages 40 or whatever, that's fine. It just doesn't matter. You just, you got to guard the others. Yeah, and that's my take on it because at the end of the day, a 50-point Giannis performance and everybody else struggles is still a Boston win, right? And then I think that we definitely need to talk about this Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum struggle. And then I want to touch on Marcus Smart being an absolute warrior um, because he deserves praise for being such a warrior. I don't understand how... I don't understand how Jalen Brown can all of a sudden go... can go game to game from being super impactful to being, like, super nut. You know what I mean? Like, you'll get... I just don't think the consistency is there for him from so far in this playoff series. Like we saw it against Brooklyn. There was times where it was just like, is Jalen Brown on the floor? Oh yeah, there he is. And then the yep. next minute, you know, you're like, yo, Jalen really lit some dudes up in the fourth. And like we won the game, like Boston won the game because Jalen got hot. But there's no consistency right now. And I think that when you're trying to win the like, you know, a championship or even a game to game like basis, you need Jalen Brown to be consistent. The turnovers, uh, again. I feel like there was points in last night's game where Jalen went more ISO than what he needed to. Like he moved, he took himself out of the flow of the offense. There was no driving kick actions. He was just kind of doing what he needed to do to get downhill. And then he was turning the ball over. Tatum was just as guilty as that as well, to be fair. But for these two guys to be successful, especially against a rim protecting team like Milwaukee that have a bunch of size. I mean, look, we know Chris Middleton. These guys are going massive. You've got Portis, you've got, Lopez, Giannis, they're like these guys are all starting. They're a big, big, big bunch of dudes. So the only way you're really gonna hurt this defense is driving kick action multiple times as well. You can't do it once. Drive, kick, oh, nothing's open. Let me just shoot the free. No, the free's not there. Drive, kick. Oh, there's nothing there. Let me drive. Somebody cuts, kick. Oh, it's not happening. Kick again. And you you've got to go from plan A to plan B to plan D and then chain it into a C. You know, you don't have to go methodically A, B, C, D, E, but you do need to keep the ball moving, keep working and keep fighting through. Otherwise, you're just going to keep, you're going to turn the ball over. You're going to get blocked at the rim. There's going to be no space to create anything off the dribble. And I think that the the offense myself was, uh, for me, was very one-dimensional. If you're going to attack a team this big, and, you know, Brook Lopez is great as a rim protector. He's quite good laterally. He can move his feet well. But run some baseline actions, get people coming in off flex screens, get people run some cross screens to get guys coming over from the weak side onto the strong side. And you've got Lopez in drop, attack that mid-range. They're going to give that up all day long because they're worried about protecting the rim. Now, that's fine, but in, I've said this a thousand times. In the playoffs, the mid-range is a valuable shot if you've got guys that can shoot it consistently. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on your roster. If the threes aren't falling and you're really struggling to like bend that defense around the baseline from driving kick actions and they're standing strong and nothing's going, guess what? Just run a little mid-range pick and pop with Tatum as the screener. Boom, mid-range, get it done. Start and then once you hit that a few times, now that drop defense isn't going to be as deep. It's going to be shallow. And now you can run those baseline actions again and hopefully somebody's going to come out of a come out of position i don't know if that makes sense to anybody else but in my head that works well yeah that's my head that's in my head anyway. 
No, yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think it makes a lot of sense. Every time the Celtics went to the basket, uh, my buddy Sam said this, you know, Sam, he, it was like the Bucks knew it was either going to be a three or a layup. There was no in-between. There was no other shot for the Bucks to think about. If the Celtics went inside the three-point line, they could just camp the paint and wait for the Celtics to shoot it into Brooke Lopez's hands. And that's what happened every time, right? Like the, yeah. they just got block after block after block. And I, I think the big reason that, everyone's talking about the poor game Jalen Brown had and not as much Tatum is because they both played a similar game. It's just Tatum has the wherewithal to make those passes. Now, once he gets into trouble in the, in the middle of the floor and Jalen doesn't, he turned the ball over seven times and most of them were him getting into the paint, not having a shot and just kind of getting lost and just losing it. Right. And that, that's the most common Jalen turnover you see nowadays. And I think he's got to develop that same passing sense that Tatum has now, and it'll take time. It's not going to happen in this playoffs, that's for sure. But if it's not going to happen in the playoffs, then he needs to have the wherewithal to either take the mid-range shot or not put himself in those positions in the first place, right? He's got to figure out uh, how to get buckets within the flow of the offense. And I think that's the key for the entire Celtics team uh, in game two, because like you said, it was very one-dimensional, very isolation, very 2021 Celtics in game one. Man, you tell me that Jalen Brown had seven seven turnovers. Do you know what that tells me? He had the ball in his hands too much. He, he's a play finisher. I've, I've been harping on this for over a year at this point. He is a play finisher. His best asset is finishing. The, finishing. That's it. That's what, if you want Jalen Brown to be successful, give him the rock, ask him to catch and shoot or rip through off the drive, finish around the rim or feed him the ball when he's close to the rim and just let him do his thing. Let him dunk on falls, but he needs to be aggressive to do that. Giving him the ball on the perimeter and be like, yo, Jalen, go make a play. That's not who Jalen Brown is. Like we've seen that because he just doesn't have the handle. You know what I mean? This dude's got a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio. If you're putting the ball in his hand and be like, hey, God, how you dude? We know there's a 50-50 chance you're going to mess this up, <laughs> but we want you to go and make a play right now. Like that, How does how is that conducive to winning? You yeah. know what I mean? Give it to Tatum. Let Tatum do what Tatum do. And then Jalen Brown finish those plays because Tatum's going to find you on time, on target. Marcus Smart going to find you on time, on target. Horford, Robert Williams, you've got enough playmakers. Don't force Brown into a role that isn't necessarily where he excels. Do that in the regular season. If you want him to develop, I'm all for it because I think that if he added passing to his game, he would, you know, his development would like leapfrog a couple of rungs up the NBA kind of ladder. But you don't do that now. You do that in the regular season. Right now, you're like, Jalen, what we need for you to do is you're going to cut, you're going to catch, you're going to shoot, you're going to score. That's what your job is. Defensively, we need you to be long, athletic, pesky, and just do what you do. Not, hey, dude, I yeah. know you might I'm, I know you might turn this over, but is there any chance you could just try and make something happen for me, please? Because nothing can't <laughs> work. That's like me giving you my car keys, saying, look, you've never drove in my country. You probably don't know how to drive stick. Uh, so there's a 50-50 chance we're going to crash, but do me a favor, just drive me to the store. I'd yeah. never do. I'd never do it. I guarantee you, it's higher than 50 percent too. I'd definitely crash that car. <laughs> I, I first time I drove in America, I crashed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, oh, man. just is what it is. Different worlds. <laughs> Different. No, yeah, it's just. Jalen has to be better, and like you said, they have to put him in better spots to succeed because he's not going to be that playmaker that everyone wants him to be. Um, that he can be eventually, but like I said, and like you said, it can't. It's not going to happen in two games, and you shouldn't try to make it happen in two games. So, just 
put him on the perimeter, run, run plays for him though. Like get his confidence up. Cause he was clearly trying to get his confidence up in game one. Like he was trying to get himself a bucket and it wasn't falling. So help, help him out. Like, and I'm not, this isn't me like pointing fingers at you, Udoka or anybody. I'm just saying like, let's, let's run some offense. Let's, let's do something for Jalen Brown. Like Marcus Smart, take the ball, do something. And we didn't see any of that in game one. We, we need more, more of what we saw at the end of the regular season and less of what we saw in October. And some post playmaking, bro. If, if, if they're guarding the, the rim a bunch, feed the ball into the post and make plays out of the post. Force the defense to react to you. You know what I mean? Don't be like, oh, the defense is saying we should take a free, so that's what we're going to No, bro, pull it in, figure it out, make them deal with you. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Like, you know, run plays for Brian, get Brian's confidence up. But you know what? Get your confidence up, not turning the ball over. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it is what it is. I get it. It's a high-pressure game. Milwaukee are one of the better defensive teams in the league, one of the best rim-protecting teams in the league. I just felt like the Celtics came out very willing to play Milwaukee's brand of basketball. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's all well and good. Like, I can I can see why you do that because you feel confident in your ability. If Jalen gets hot, if Jason gets hot, if Marcus Smart hits... 50 like you know 50 percent on free freeze so that well before freeze goes two for four from free you feel confident about beating milwaukee if they're giving you those shots once it once it turns out that you guys just don't have it tonight like the freeze aren't going to be falling alter now start playing boston basketball i don't think they played celtics basketball on either end of the floor last night they played milwaukee basketball and that's what you know if another team gets you playing their style of game you're not going to win because you're playing into their hands straight off the bat. And I, to me, that was the biggest concern. Now, I, I think that became apparent as early as like midway through the second. Yeah, I agree. And like the, the numbers will tell you, oh, Peyton Pritchard shot two of eight from three, Marcus Smart one of six. If both of them made, what, two more that were fairly open, the Celtics would be tied in the game. But it, it's just they, they fell into the trap that is Milwaukee. They took 53s and 34 twos like, that's never that's never a good ratio to play. And like you mentioned, that's what Milwaukee allows. That's the thing we're seeing. Like, oh, that's that's what Milwaukee says. But throw in a mid-range, you know, f- find a way to, like you said, play out of the post and take Brooke Lopez out of the equation so he's not going to block the shot. It's, it's just they abandoned everything that they've done right and that they've changed about their offense in favor of let's trust our guys to make threes when we've known in the past that's that's not something you can consistently trust. And Marcus Smart shot great in the first round from three, but anybody who's watched him play know that's not going to that's not going to be a consistent thing and that's fine. Like he's the defensive player of the year, he brings so much else to the court, but his shooting his is not going to be consistent. Yeah, his hair his, his hair was amazing. <laughs> Do you know what as well? Like people are like, "Oh, we so and so made an extra couple of threes. Like if he if he scored two more and then if this guy scored one more, it's a yeah. tie." I get that line of thinking, but if I changed three numbers on my lottery ticket, I'm a millionaire right now, but I didn't, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's all well and good, but revisionist history never changes the matter. You know what I mean? I could look at a lottery ticket like, man, if I'd just gone 37 instead of 38, got chose nine instead of 19, I'd be a millionaire right now. Yeah, but I didn't. Like, there's no time machine. I'm not going back in time. Like, Bugs Bunny's not there with that little magnet underneath the golf course, dragging the ball into the hoop. You know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. So when I see people talking about stuff like that, I completely get it because that's a way of rationalizing how close you were in the game. Like, hey, we were like four made threes away from tying it. I get it. But those threes weren't falling. And even if they were, like, I do agree. And I don't know if you do. I've seen a lot of takes at the moment saying that this loss 
was probably the best thing that could have happened to the Celtics right now. And part of me agrees with that. You know, maybe they bought into their own hype a little bit. Maybe that net series got them in their comfort zone and they needed to get punched in the mouth and rocked a little bit to just bring them back down to earth and like, hey, you ain't accomplished nothing yet. You're only in the second round. You know what I mean? Now, coming into the season, if you told me the Celtics get knocked out in the second round, I was happy with that. I was like, yo, that's a successful season because that was what the expectation was to start the year. My expectation hasn't changed. I've said that consistently through this podcast over the recent months. But a competitive second round, not like not like what we saw in that first game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Now we, I totally agree. Now we need to touch on a good point. The Warrior, Mr. Marcus Smart. Got a, got a shoulder stinger. No, no, that was a dislocation, dude. It looked yeah. like a dislocation. <laughs> no way that wasn't a dislocation. He came what off the court stinger? dragging his arm. I've, <laughs> I have no like, idea. I've done combat sports for years. I've never heard someone be like, I got a stinger. I got like, yo, my shoulder pop, dude, and it hurts a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've never heard someone just like, yo, that stung my, my shoulder. No, no, your shoulder pop, bro. Um, credit to if it was a dislocation, obviously that's not what's been said, and I'm not sure on the terminology of a stinger, so maybe that's somewhat very similar. Um, so, you know, but if it was a dislocation and he went back into the locker room, had it popped back in and then came back out, then dude, you got to take that's some credit, man. Cause that doesn't, the pain doesn't stop once it goes back in, like the swelling's still there. The stiffness is still there. That's going to take a few days. Uh, and then he goes and hurts his knee. I think that was on, was that on Giannis or Drew? Uh, I think it was Drew. I think it was Drew. Driving. I think it was Drew too. But then he hurts his knee and he's hobbling. Dude can't run. Like, and then he hurts his hand. Then Rob Williams gets kicks in the nads. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's just, brutal. <laughs> it's rough, dude. Like, but that's the level of physicality that Boston have been putting out into the what universe recently. And now it's come back and they got a taste of their medicine. It's a good thing. It really is. But man, we need to credit Marcus Smart because if that was a dislocation to come back in and play that way and just play through the pain and dribble with both hands. Yeah. Oh, dude, man, that's a. So I saw somebody like, "Yo, this is Marcus Smart's Rondo game." And I was like, "I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but I get it." If only they won. Imagine if he came back and he like helped them lead them to a win. Like the stories of Marcus Smart it is incredible. And also, I, I googled what is a shoulder stinger, and it came up also called burners, injuries to the nerve network that provides feeling and muscle control in the shoulder arm etc etc it was a dislocation there's it's everything that i saw on the court he was dragging it on the floor he couldn't lift it it just driven played dead arms when he was at high school you just hit someone really hard in the shoulder so then their arm would just go numb and they couldn't feel it i don't think i played that game i've heard of the game and i think my friends asked me to play the game but i i don't think i was strong enough where i thought i could compete in the game so okay so maybe that's what it is maybe it was just like a dead arm you know like took a real big blow your arms just like this ain't working no more imagine playing dead arm with Giannis. it doesn't sound very fun well i don't because high school Giannis was skinny true you, you know what I mean? Yoked Giannis. I'm not playing that game. No. I'm not playing that game at all, dude. <laughs> but like, no, thank you, Mr. Giannis. You win. Here's my lunch money. Uh, <laughs> high school Giannis, that's different. But maybe that's the same thing, you know, just the dead arm. But if yeah. it was, like, regardless of what it was, he was back in the lineup and he was playing and he was physical, yeah. you know, and the fact that he was so physical with Drew that he hurt his knee shortly after returning to the court from the shoulder injury tells you like you need warriors like that in the playoffs. You need warriors like that when you're up against a team like Milwaukee that are going to play bully ball all night long. So 
I just want to give Marcus Smart that credit there. I mean, we've been I've been a little bit negative on Brown and you know just the game plan as a whole. So I do need to give the positivity out there that you know Al Horford was fantastic guarding Giannis yeah. man to man. Grant Williams was fantastic for stretches. He was also bad for stretches. Made a few bad decisions when guarding the perimeter. Um, yeah. Marcus Smart was a warrior, and I'm happy that Rob Williams came through and scathed as well. Obviously. For sure, yeah. You can't have any complaints with Marcus. I mean, especially after the injury, that for him to come back is incredible. I will say, when Grant Williams, quote unquote, fouled Grayson Allen, I know it got overturned, but at that point, I, I walked out my front door and I sat on the porch for ten minutes. I was just like, I can't, I can't watch this game. I, I took, I took my own time out, uh, and I, I didn't even see like that it wasn't a foul. I just saw Grant recklessly close out on Grayson Allen and assumed he ran into him because <laughs> that's something he would do. Um, I was pleasantly surprised when I came back in and I saw that uh, it was a jump ball and they won the challenge. But I was a little confused because I thought a leg kick out was an offensive foul. But no, so again, I thought that was the best time to use the challenge. Yeah, it was a little early, but at that point, it was. In my opinion, at that point, it was spiraling. You had to do something, and so if they had yeah. won that jump ball, got a three, you know, maybe it would have sparked something. And even late in the game, when I saw you know Jalen hit a three and Al hit a three, I was like, okay, maybe they can put something. But every time. I talked about this with Sam. Every time there was some sort of momentum turn, they would turn it over and Milwaukee would hit a three. And then they would turn it over and Milwaukee would get a layup. They, they would just crumble every time they had a chance to shift the momentum. And it was it, it was a killer. And they they just couldn't they couldn't hit shots in those moments. And that, that was a big part of what cost them, in addition to their, you know, nothing offense all night. But yeah. It was um it was tough, man. It was tough. Yeah. So the next thing I've kind of want to wrap up on this discussion. Because I think, you know, why not? How would, how can I put this? It's going to work. How would, if you were Zudoka, how would you feel with the way Brad Stevens kind of got up and left midway through the fourth? Yeah. Um, because part of me feels like, part of me feels like that, like Brad left because he was like, yo, this is over. I don't want to be walking out with everybody else. Let me just get out of here early. And it wasn't anything like, yo, this is trash. I'm done. I don't think there was any negativity no. there, but like the media definitely made sure that we all saw Brad Stevens leave the, the building, you know? Yeah. And like, if you're a doker or if you're the players, how do you feel kind of like the guy that's constructed you, coached you for multiple years is just like, yo, this is bad. I'm going. Well, I'll try to be optimistic about it. The way this team has kind of come around in the second half of the year, it's been like, okay, we know we did something wrong. You know, Udoka, when he chews them out, they just kind of band together and they find a way around it. And even in their press conferences after game one, everyone was focused on Tuesday. They're like, okay, game two, we just got to get ready for game two. You know, I'm ready for game two right now. We just need to fix it. And so if anything, I think just seeing Brad Stevens leave like that will just add fuel to the fire, man. Like they they know they didn't play well. It's not like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, they're happy with their performances that uh shucks, you know, we'll get them next time. No, they they know they played poorly. They know they have to improve. And seeing the guy, like you said, that constructed the roster get up and leave the arena because of, you know, presumably how it's being framed, how poorly the Celtics are playing, I feel like that's gonna light a fire into them if it's not already there. So 
I, I think that's it's going to be more of a positive than negative, but uh, it, it definitely didn't feel good as a Celtics fan. <laughs> no, it didn't. I mean, I just kind of thought in my head, I was just like, oh man, like Brad's leaving. And I, in my head, I was like, there was nothing wrong with that. You know, the game's not, yeah. there's about seven minutes left. You've been there all the way through. You're the executive, you know, you're the president. You don't want to be walking out with the fans and everything. You know the game's not really going to swing back because the the flow of the game was just everything was against Boston at that point in time. I didn't see a negative in it at all. But the first thing I thought once I saw him leave was the mead. Someone somewhere is going to spin this into something negative. You know what I mean? So that's why I kind of wanted to end on that discussion just to see how you felt about it, whether or not you thought that was um, an issue itself. Uh, other than that, I don't really think there's much else we can touch on unless we wanted to dive into the adjustments we want to see for game two. I mean, I think we we got most of this. I'll give you my quick hitters. Like, you know, don't turn the ball over a million times. Like, that's an easy one. Uh, find, find different ways of offense, man. Like you said, you know, run out of the post, get the mid-range. Don't just shoot threes and take layups. Like, we're not the Houston Rockets. Right? This isn't James Harden, P.J. Tucker, Houston Rockets, Mike D'Antoni, like, doing nothing but threes and layups. Like, Clearly that didn't work. <laughs> Clearly something was wrong with that method because they didn't win a championship. So change something up. And like you said, play Celtics basketball. And defensively, I would say just stop trying to be so creative. Maybe just play the defense Udoka put in place at the end of the regular season, which in itself is creative, right? Switching everything. Like you can put multiple bodies on Giannis. So take advantage of that, right? Don't just shove one of them on Giannis and send help immediately. Like, Grant Williams can guard him one-to-one. Al Horford can guard him one-to-one. Hell, Jason Tatum can guard him one-to-one for a possession if he needs to. It's just play this switch everything defense you know, have Rob helping in the paint, and that's that. Don't don't try to get uh, overly fancy with it. And I think you should be in good shape for game two, and you got to hope that Tatum and Brown, you know, progress to the mean instead of regressing to it because you can't play much worse in offense for those two guys in game two. No, and I don't think they will. I think we're going to see better versions. I think they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder. And like I said at the start of the show, I honestly believe that they needed this loss. I think this is what's going to reinvigorate them and make them double down on everything that's made them successful to this point. Now, I expected this to be a really hard series anyway. Milwaukee have already took care of business. You want to split on the road, right? You go one for one. So whether Boston win or lose on Tuesday, like that's the way it's going to be. They're either going to come away with a two, like, you know, Milwaukee win the second game too you start to really worry because then you've got to ask Boston to do some of the, like big time on the road. So the Celtics really need to win the next game just to kind of keep this, you know, keep this series even, go away back to Milwaukee and just try and snag one there as well to come back to Boston 2-2. Uh, I think the Celtics are going to do so. I think the crowd's going to be electric. I think that's going to help a bunch. And, you know, yeah. this is where we really see like how much progress the team has made recently you know because at the end of the day beating the nets now at the time that was a real big achievement but now it with like hindsight in there and looking back on things you're like man that's that's you were meant to beat the nets like that was meant to happen it never felt like that at the time but looking backwards on it now you were like yeah you were meant to do that this is the first real test and this is a team that was an nba championship team last year now, they don't have Chris Middleton, so they've got, they're fighting at 100% capacity constantly anyway to make up for that loss. So you need to be willing to kind of like take advantage of that. And then obviously they've had to alter the way their lineup is, so they've gone bigger 
Does that mean you go smaller? Does that mean that you start doing more actions on the post to kind of bring those big guys away from the rim and do whatever you need to do? I don't know. That's for Adoka to decide. But I'm confident heading into game two. This series is far from over. I don't understand people that are like, hey, yeah, this is over. Like that makes those are, sense. The, those are the same people who are saying trade Jalen, trade Marcus, doom and gloom in October. <laughs> those are the same people. They're still here. They're still around. They're waiting for their yeah, chance. This is far from <laughs> over. Far from over. I'm excited for game two. I am. Jack, man, thank you for joining us. Before we go, do you want to plug any of your stuff? Let people know where to find you, who you are, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I work with Adam over at Celtics Blog and actually at Heavy.com as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jack Simone MBA. I'm on TikTok at Jack Simone MBA as well. Actually, I don't post on there as much as I would like to anymore, but maybe I'll get back into it. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you for having me on the show. Uh, it's always a good time and hopefully uh, Celtics can bounce back in game two. I'm confident too. I, I don't see a way they get uh, they get punked twice in a row. <laughs> Yeah, no, he may do because not letting that happen. I think he'll fight someone before he lets that happen. Um, everybody, yeah. if you've enjoyed the show, make sure that you share. Make sure you go onto social media. And, you know, when you share, it's more important than when I share because I'm meant to share it. You're not meant to share it. So when you do it, it means a lot more. Uh, tell your friends, tell your barber, tell your basketball friends. If you're at, if you're at like a local LA fitness and you're like, hey, did you listen to podcast? Share the Celtics Bar podcast is dope. That dude, Adam Taylor, is dope. <laughs> You know where to find me by now. If you want my daily thoughts and musings, go over to Twitter. If you want my breakdowns, go over to Instagram. If you want to see this podcast in video form, eventually I'm going to start uploading them back to YouTube. I've been quite lazy there. I do apologize. And we will be back again on Wednesday. Will should be back from Boston at that point. So we can. I'm assuming there's going to be a win, so he's not going to feel as sad. Uh, until then, everybody enjoy their day, and we'll catch you again on Wednesday. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrate